The Sports Crib Podcast, episode 325. What is the relationship between sports law and esports law? Sports Achiever, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in sports law and in the esports industry. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Nipamug Nofhefer. Nipamuk has a fascinating sports career journey. He is a lawyer, a lecturer, a researcher, and the founder of the Esports Research Network. For that reason, it's such a privilege to have him as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Nipamuk will share his sports career journey and explain to you the relationship between sports law and esports law. So have a listen and enjoy. Nipamuk, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please, you share your career journey to the listeners. When did it all start? <laughs> First of all, thanks for having me, of course. Uh, my name is Nipamuk Nothefer. I'm 31 years old now. Wow, I'm, I'm really getting older. And I'm from Germany. And my legal career started when uh, I finished the first legal exam in Germany in 2016. And since then, I've been wearing what you could call different heads. Like, for example, one head is like my researcher head. I, I've been a research assistant at the University of Augsburg in Germany. I um, completed my PhD at the University of Mannheim, esports related, of course, what else? Uh, I'm a co-founder of the first university research center for esports law and the esports research network, which is like globally the biggest interdisciplinary network on esports research. We founded a, a scientific journal, Sports and Esports Law and Practice, like this, like the researcher side. The second hat I'm wearing is more like the independent consultant for various stakeholders of sports, meaning traditional sports and uh, esports uh, industry, but especially politics. For example, I, I wrote multiple studies or expert opinions um, for example, the one on esports for the European Parliament, uh, which is now the basis of the uh, gaming and esports resolution of the Parliament, uh, which uh, was adopted in November last year, 2022. The third one would be lecturing. Like, I love lecturing. I love working with, with young, old people. It, it doesn't matter as long as they're like burning with passion for sports, for esports. For example, in, in, in Madrid, in Barcelona, for Easter, as you know, uh, University of Ma uh, Vienna. Um, it's like there are a lot of learning or higher education institutions. Yeah, and the last one is as a practitioner. Uh, for nearly two years, I'm at the law firm SKW Schwartz as part of my training for the second legal exam which will be in a few months, by the way. So I'm not a fully qualified lawyer when it comes to Germany. I'm not a, I'm not admitted to the bar, but I've been an examined lawyer for, um, yeah, 
seven years now. So that that's the like the, the the short version of what I'm doing. How do you find time to sleep? Oh no, sleep sleep is when you for when you're dead. Like, you know, <laughs> no, if, it, it's it's all about passion, right? Um, yeah. If, if you have passion for something, you really love working. Uh, people in sports, any sports industry, are are most of the times really great people, as yourself. So I really do enjoy everything, or let's say nearly everything, um, I do. I want to like dig deep in this part because I want people to understand that. I firmly believe now, after interviewing a lot of people and how the industry is evolving, I feel like we merge into different hats. So I want to keep to this little theme before we talk about the main podcast topic. With all those different parts, the researching, consulting, lecturer, being a practitioner, lawyer, how do they merge in together with certain projects? So it's not just like I'm a lecturer now. All these things you do merge depending on the project and depending on the piece of work, of course, because I think this gives a better understanding of the lifestyle of the work you do. Yeah, um, that's a tough question. On one hand, it's it's great because whatever I do, it kind of kind of works well with the other. Whatever information I gather, if I'm working as a practitioner, we work with some, some of the biggest names in the industry. We're like the number one law firm. Um, in Germany, leading law firm in Europe. So we work with some of the biggest brands in esports. And what I learned there helps me with my research. Of course, there are some restrictions uh, to, to the work. I cannot use anything, but just the knowledge, like the firsthand practitioner's knowledge helps me with research and helps me with consulting, for example, a European Parliament. Um, so, so it really benefits from each other. On the other hand, it's really complex and tough because... I just told you about like the passion. Um, but when you're a researcher, passion is kind of, well, and I don't want to say it's not allowed, but passion can be hard because I need to do objective research. And there are things in the sports and esports and gaming industries um, that are not like running smoothly when we talk about sustainability, for example, or the role of women and in inclusion and all of those topics. So it's you really have to get rid of like this pink glasses at the start of the relationship and uh, get down to the nitty gritty. And this can be dirty sometimes, which some people in, in esports and gaming aren't super happy with my research because it's not everything is amazing and wonderful and perfect and uh, esports is better than sports. And from the sports side, a lot of people don't even bother with my work and they're just like, oh, if he's doing esports stuff, he's probably like lobbying for it. Um, so this is like the, the, the more tough uh, aspect of my work, but you've got to just power through it with quality. Because my goal is whoever reads my research, whoever um, takes a look at the, the consulting work I do. Like 10 minutes after they read it, they should be like, okay, no, that's high quality work. And this is objective. So this, on the other hand, is, is an aspect that's more tough. Hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. And I want people to understand that working in the sports industry, passion is an emotion, right? It's how we show up with our energy. But like you said, that when you're in the industry, things look totally different behind the curtain. And I'm just, I want to just touch on a bit more, just to dig deeper for, for the listeners. Like, how have you put the emotion aside and look at things a bit more logical? Um, 
because I think when we have that emotion, meaning let's say we're a passionate fan, we actually put the logic out the window and, and that's where mistakes happens with bad practice. Um, so I'm just curious of how do you stay logical, but also enjoy the work you're doing, even if it's hard and challenging, because you said about, let's say, getting more women leaders in the esports industry, as an example, uh, something I'm passionate about with regards to equality and equity, you know, we can still be passionate about it to, to have more awesome people like us that are like-minded, but when we do it, it can be very hard to challenge the status quo of how things were done in the past. So I'm just curious of you as an individual, as an individual, how do you filter that? You know, even if it's tough, tough work. The, these are like two questions. Let, let, let's start with the first one. Like when it comes to esports and sports, for example, that's not a problem for me because I really love both and I grew up with both. So it's not like there's a bigger love here. So I'm writing better publications for that side of the table or, or anything. So I have love for both, but I see the flaw of both. So it's it's like a mission born out of passion. Like the mission is to make it more sustainable, to make it better, to to help grow this, this space, to um, do good consulting work for uh, for for practitioners or for for policymakers, for them to create a a legal supporting frame that works, that's functioning, because it's different um, between like having a legal code on sports or esports and having a working one, uh, like a, a really good one where like practitioners can thrive in uh, with what they do. So it's more like a Kickstarter. Passion is more like the Kickstarter for your own motivation. Um, in general, I'm a really logical person, so I don't really find it hard. If I'm like, if I wear one of these hats, this is just me, and hopefully I'm not like blinded. But I, I feel like I, I am. I have integrity, and when I wear the hat, I really do wear the hat. Which, by the way, can make things more complex because as a researcher, as I said, you might have a different answer on employment, legal issues in esports or sports than as, as, as a, a practitioner who has to kind of give it their all for the client, right? And when it comes to, to filter, sometimes it's, I don't, I, I don't want to say tough, but it has to be the first goal because you always get criticized from 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 area. You will always get criticized, and most of the criticism is important and great and helps you learn and grow. But you just gotta stay true to your task and the hat you're wearing, and um, then everything works out. But you will have more discussions about how did you come to that conclusion? Why did you X Y? <laughs> You mentioned a big word there, and it's like a word is one of my value words, which is integrity. Would you mind just sharing yeah. your sort of definition of integrity, but particularly how you apply in the esports space? Just for other lawyers, other practitioners, we all know this word. It's like we know passion, but with us, integrity, I think it's it's more concrete of how we show up and you know how we look at things to to create new positive results. So. I'm going to put you on the spot here. How do you define integrity in the esports sector? You're firing tough questions. Um, I don't think it's like an uh, I, I, integrity is integrity, right? I, I'm not quite sure whether there's a big difference between in sports, gaming, esports. Um, I'm just like staying true to your task and to your values and to the fundamentals of your craft. These are probably 
just from the top of my head, the three things I'm thinking about, because you always have to work with your fundamentals the best way you can, like it's your toolkit. You're not supposed to like divert some of these, like take it, take one of your, your tools and use it the wrong way just for you to get to the conclusion you want to get to. Um, stay true to your values, which is quite important, especially because esports is so international. Maybe there's a, a factor, an esports related factor, because it's so international and the Western world might have different values than other parts of the world, but you have to stay true to your values. And on the other hand, if you get, for example, like... Um, you should write an expert opinion for a different part of the world, accept their values for this kind of work. And yeah, that this would be probably like the the, the three elements I would put together um, when it comes to what integrity for me is. Does it make sense? Hopefully. It does. I, I do have a secondary question for it, just for the listeners. Could you just go through some of the fundamentals, that toolkit, just with some substance? Like what would be you know, this is a bit of self-reflection on yourself, but what would you say your fundamental toolkit is? For example, methodology. We talked a little bit about what we want to talk today, right? We want a little bit, we want to talk about esports, comparing it to sports. And so the question, what is esports, which might come up later, is you need your fundamentals. It's not like I can sit down and just think of something. There, There's methodology, right? Legal methodology. How do you form definitions, for example. And you need to be, in order for your, your work to be high quality, you need to be, you need to be top-notch there. You need to have your, your legal fundamentals um, when it comes to your jurisdiction, but also when it comes to like, for example, for us, Europe or, or, or different countries. You need to know, um, in Germany, there's like, you, you're like trained as a generalist. It's like, it doesn't matter whether I do family-related law, for example. Um, I am. I have this toolkit from university, you could say, how do I work with, with norms, with, with legal codes? And if I apply this correctly, those fundamentals, at the end of the day, there will be, um, yeah, like a, a solution. It might not be the preferred one, but it's like a solution you can work with so this is what i mean with with fundamentals then of course there are also personal fundamentals be nice we live in a world where <laughs> a lot of people um are are well difficult in sports and esports there are a lot of great people but there are also a lot of like gatekeepers for example so just be nice try to make the industry better, stuff like that. So th this is probably what I would say. So, so those soft, soft skills, yeah, sorry, yeah. just a category. So those soft skills, communication skills, final one on the skill set standpoint, because this is where it gets, this is where I love my jam, because you've got your different hats. I'm just curious how your researching skills have made you a better practitioner and a better consultant. So maybe I, I start with the, the weird part, not answering a question, but... There's huge differences I noticed in working as a researcher and as a practitioner, like huge. Um, when I write a publication, it, it depends, of course, uh, the size, whatever I'm trying to achieve. But this can take weeks. And it's like really, and then the sun comes out and I sit on the balcony and I let my, my mind wander. Um, what could you, what are the possibilities? And the stranger it becomes, the more interesting it gets. Um, so it's super creative in like a loose way. As a practitioner, 
there are a lot of like deadlines. There are clients who wish for X, Y to happen. And it's your task to create the best possible solution, even though some of those wishes might be really hard to achieve. So it's also creativity, but in a in a like more narrow space. I don't know whether it makes sense. So I really, there are a lot of differences between the two. On the other hand, you need, in order to be a good lawyer, you don't need to be a genius, in my opinion. Uh, you don't need to be especially skilled in anything. You need to be precise. This is like the one big thing, being precise. And there's nothing more precise than being in, in working in academia, um, researching a topic from, from top to bottom. So the biggest thing for me and my day-to-day -day business at SKW is that whenever like a client is coming and he's he's asking me for, oh, we need a clause for in, in, a, in a labor contract or employment contract for a professional player regarding integrity, like cheating or exploiting, whatever it is. So I always have something from my time in quote unquote as a researcher where I just sat down and spent a whole week on, okay, let's define each and every one of those different terms like boosting, whatever it may be. And doping cheating exploiting whatever it is and find a frame for it like stuff like these and and to be that precise i've learned while writing my my phd um I, i've written more than 30 publications by now um I've, I've written more publications than i am years old so this is something that that really comes in handy in, in a day-to-day -day life so with regards to that precisionness or being precise just from I'm emphasizing the point here. Is it just having that real good attention to detail? Because I've had, and you've listened to a few of my podcasts, I've had many lawyers. And the one thing they all say is just focus on being a good lawyer. Don't focus on being sports lawyer, esports lawyer, like focus on being a good lawyer. And, and it comes down to the fundamentals of like really going through contracts and being, you know, that tension. Like they're the basics. When I've learned all these different lawyers which is fascinating because then you've got culture which is another topic which I find fascinating as well being an international lawyer but with going back to you said being precise is that what you mean with attention to detail not just the type of work the attention to detail with the client you're working with too yeah 100 it's like in my opinion if you work with clients it's super important to analyze them first <laughs> and in order to do that you really need to to pay attention to to the details to the specifics because um oftentimes i'm not a native speaker uh, when it comes to english right but we work with english-speaking clients or clients from all over the world so there's also the language barrier so you really have to pick up on the smallest things to really get what they're trying to achieve because sometimes they have a way in mind because it's logical for them to achieve X and Y. But that's not working, especially in Germany or in Europe, where some standards are pretty high. For example, employment law. I'm, employment law is my passion, so I might refer to it uh, a lot more here. Um, but there might be a different way. So it's really, really important to be specific. Also, when it comes to legal codes, because we have a thousand legal codes. In, we, we actually have 10,000 legal codes in Germany for the smallest things. And when you try to subsume something, like, for example, is a special esports title sports, something we might talk about later as well. It's not like you cannot just say, oh, um, traditional sports federations don't think esports are sports. So, no, 
you really have to dig deep on the sports definition in the respective legal code. What is the background of that definition? What are they trying to achieve with that legal code? And then you have to take the um, the esports silent question because rare, it's rarely all of esports, right? But sp some specific esports titles, and really have to be really precise in subsuming it under that sports definition. So these are like the two things: like be specific, pick up on the details when you talk to clients. Um, and be super, super detail-oriented in these questions because there's not a ton of esports literature right now, um, especially legal one. So it's up to you. It's your task, not just like, oh, there's a, like an online encyclopedia, whatever, and I can have a look whether esports is sports in respect to this legal code. You have to come up with, with it yourself. And this is also where like my research, I don't want to say past because... I'm still researching and uh, writing publications, but my focus has a little bit shifted more on on, on being a practitioner. Um, but yeah, it comes in handy really well. When was the actual moment when you went, I'm going to work in the esports industry, even if it wasn't termed or coined that term? I'm just curious, like roughly what age? Not 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 to bring the age up again, but I think it's important. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first of all, there's a dire need for skillful good people in this industry. So if you're interested, have a look. There are a lot of great people there already, but the esports industry needs more. So this is really an important thing. Um, my first gaming experience where I fell in love with gaming was, was gaming with my mom, actually, um, in, wow. I mean, I'm born 91. I was seven or six years old and um, we played like a Prince of Persia version, maybe the first Prince of Persia. I'm not quite sure. Maybe the second one. And it was just great exploring these worlds. And then, of course, FIFA is a big thing. I'm a football slash soccer guy. Um, when that hit the market, I was like wow, I can play football outside and then I get back home after and, and can play there, uh, continue to play there, or even play against my friends. So this is when the, when the love sparked. The big thing for me gaming-wise was World of Warcraft. I've played that uh, a lot and I really, really loved it. And whenever someone's talking about the metaverse, for example, or stuff like that, like online worlds, um, I feel like if you played that for years, you really know by heart what it means, what are the most important aspects. And like building on all of these experiences, I've always been connected to it, but it never came to my mind to combine like this passion with my professional work. And one day, and now we get to the origin story, one day in 2018, uh, we, we got a new colleague uh, at our chair at the university and he was looking for his topic for his dissertation. And uh, I, I told him, oh, take a topic of interest for you because there will be, <laughs> there will be times you will hate what you're doing right now, the PhD process. So if there's like the spark of passion regarding the topic, you'll get through it. And then we just skimmed through his topics and he had the same as mine, like sports, gaming, esports. And he was super interested in Counter-Strike and all of skin gambling, for example. And then he was like, but well, this is not something we can, I can write a PhD on, right? And I was like, well, let's check. And then we researched um, how little research there was on esports specifically. Gaming more, of course. Um, as you said, like gaming is... Um, about 80 years old now, but modern esports, if you take like the first games, like the first 
uh, games. But modern esports is about 20 years, which is nothing, as you said. 20 years is relatively nothing. Um, and uh, 15 years back then, uh, around about 15 years. And then we researched and were like, basically no papers on it, nothing when it comes to German law and very few internationally. And this was like the start. And we were like, hey, let's write a paper together. And if if in the research process, we see there's lots to unfold there, we could maybe double down. And um, this is what happened. The year after that, that uh, first uh, moment we found at the research center with two uh, professors at our university. And yeah, the rest is history, as they say. But you've highlighted a really important point, like, and I want you to emphasize it, just for people to take the unknown road, which is, you said, when you're with that person, you went, well, let's find out. Like, that's the best question. Because if he, if he said, no, I can't do it, he would have went to another topic. But by following our interest, from your experience, how has it led to more exciting experiences in the esports industry, even if you didn't know the outcome? Because for me, did I know starting a podcast back in 2015? Nobody knew what a podcast was. The first 80 guests had to tell them what a podcast was. So it's a bit like the esports industry. You know, it's like a horse esports industry. Like, I just want people to learn to get uncomfortable in being uncomfortable in our career path. Did you ever have that unknown factor? Uh, before we go on the topic, this is so important because I want the listeners to realize that having the courage to follow your interest can lead to an amazing journey if you take that first step. So could you re relate to what I've said? Because I think that's important, particularly because esports is so young. I want people to feel confident after listening to this that they can. I, I read like a, a meme a few days ago um, when it comes to these these new experiences. Uh, and it, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's something like, if you have a, a new idea and no one laughs at it or makes fun of you because of it, it's probably a bad idea. And it's like when you have an, like an IPO, right? When everything works well and everyone's in the space, you can barely get something out of it. If, if there's like something going wrong, that's a time to invest maybe. And um, when we started with our research, there was a lot of Oh, you have a research center now there. Um, do you have a PlayStation now in your office? Ha 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 ha. And there's like a lot of adversity and a lot of and and this was when I knew I was doing the right thing. This this was the moment. And before it was all it's it, it was also new. I, I we had to learn the ropes. I, I'm still learning the ropes. Like I'm not quite sure about all of these esports expert talk, right? Because there are so many different esports titles and all of these have different ecosystems because of the publishers we will get into that later. Um, you cannot be an expert on all of the governance structures of all the important esports titles. It's just not possible. Most of the contracts you never get in your hands, <laughs> but even if it's just too much, there's too much to know. So I am learning day by day by day. If I do a lecture, I learn from my students day by day. If I watch the LEC, the League of Legends European League, I learned something about the industry. So you will never stop learning. Esports is digital. It's heterogenic. So it's always developing and evolving. You always learn. And at the same time, at the start, it can be overwhelming, right? Oh, that's all new. Wait, this changed again. And oh God, oh God, what am I doing? What am I doing? Shouldn't I be like pushing through my PhD in one year and and then let's head on to the new big adventure. 
So there was uncertainty. But the thing that kept me in it was, again, the passion for sports, for esports, for gaming. Um, the people I've met and I work, I, I still work with and I work with, for example, the, the colleague I'm talking about is one of my closest friends. With our own money, we traveled Germany, Europe. We paid for nearly everything. But it was passion. We wanted to do it. And whenever we were at the worst hotels, we were lying in bed in the, in the worst hotels and laughed uncontrollably about the, the weird situation we were in sometimes. But that like formed a special bond between him and me, for example. So even though there were these uncertainties, uh, these these like these financial strains, I had to pay for everything on yeah. my own. Even though I'm, all I'm hearing the, this, yeah, I'm it. yeah. <laughs> all of those things, I never questioned it. I never really questioned it because I had a great time. And when I saw what we created, what we kickstarted with all of our work, like for example, um, the journal I talked about, we quadrupled the esports research in the legal space in Germany. It, it was like whatever they, whenever there's a judge now. And I don't want to be like age shaming, but 60 years old, never heard of esports and a judge who has like an esports case. There is now research he can work with. We, we bring out a book. It's coming out in summer. Over a thousand pages. Keywords, every keyword like visa, whatever, cheating, whatever it is, with more than 50 authors in the German language. So this is like doing our part which hopefully helps the industry. So we were driven by passion, by the fun we had, by exploring the new. And when we when we saw that people were kind of laughing, oh, oh it's just esports, I knew, oh, this is the right thing. Because, and now comes the most important thing. A lot of people come to me and say, oh, wow, you work with the European Union. You work with like um, parliamentary groups in Germany, with ministries. You're writing uh, studies for like billion dollar companies i'm not allowed to disclose most of no, it but of course, but, of but, but also how you, what, what you're teaching in in madrid and vienna and 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 in Riyadh, how well I, i'm not like a first mover well maybe i am to some degree but it's like the possibilities the opportunities are just where no one is right if, if there are a thousand experts on on a topic there are barely no opportunities. So the payoff when it comes to career and personal fulfillment is way higher. The things I do, a lot of my, my friends who are also lawyers say, oh, I would be too scared to do X, Y. And I'm like, no, this is the situation I want, a situation I want to be in. It's an honor for me to speak on the floor of the cult committee in the European Parliament. Like, it's amazing. So the moment I, I see that some people are laughing at the same time, seeing the numbers grow when it comes to revenue in gaming, for example, and also a little bit in esports, I knew, okay, this is the right thing. It was a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful answer. And, and I just want to touch on one thing and we will talk about this topic because it's fascinating, but I think this is an important part because I've had to put my hand up. I've had to invest it in myself and with all those, dodgy like like not dodgy hotels those hotel trips like how did you look at it as a mindset of oh it's not money it's an investment on your career because everybody sorry just uh because i've had a lot of guests everybody says keep learning and everybody says like you know developing yourself 100 agree but we're at the stage where there's so much information 
the real learning is when you do it. So for me, I went to Singapore to do my first careers workshop a good guy called Chris Rob going Ed do you want to come on oh, flipping out how am I going to get Singapore and you're so you know finding the game and I, I call it a figure out mindset and if you don't mind we've talked about having the fundamentals but have you looked at developing yourself as an investment number one and also have you developed your mindset when you're figuring out positive change in the esports industry regarding the first one I am a brand uh, it's not like I'm a uh, I'm a huge uh, enterprise or anything, but with my work on LinkedIn, for example, and and all of the, I know especially with my name, right? It's it's super uncommon. Like there's no one with my name in Germany, and 100 <laughs> not a, a second person out of Germany. Um, so using that, turning it into a brand that stands for like quality work was was super important and there were some failures some things i did good but i'm i'm a guy it's so cliche right learning from failures but it's exactly that try out new things and see what sticks this is this is kind of you have to do it that way i now i have like a, a mentor like uh, moritz who is my boss at skw who is an amazing guy an amazing friend an amazing lawyer one of the number guys in esports um like it was so important for me to have like a mentor helping me when it comes to particular like the, the practice work but for the other things i didn't really have too much of a mentor who already lived through what i'm doing right now so it was all trial and error and i'm pretty sure that that made me a better version of myself of course you have to endure failure <laughs> it's like you just have to um but this is like would be my answer to the first question. So making myself a brand to some degree, making myself known also internationally, um, doing that big work, this was important. The thing I will emphasize is the mentor. Like I'll be honest, my first mentor was John Amici, and that was six months into this. And I don't know about you, we will, for me, when I asked John to mentor me, it was a sign of relief that I'm not on my own. And to be fair, John didn't... John asked better questions. He didn't solve all my answers. He actually said, Ed, I'm going to just help you by me saying better questions. And actually all the mentors I've had, don't give me the solution. They just give me more better questions to then solve with making a few mistakes. And then, so I just love your thoughts on the relationships of your mentors, because I think for the listeners, if they haven't experienced getting a mentor, for me personally, before working in the esports industry, they should build meaningful connections and then find a mentor in that space. So I love your thoughts on that as a bit of guidance for the listener who are listening right now. Regarding my background again, I'm not from an academia household, for example. So I, I love my parents. They did everything they could to support me in what I was doing. So I'm super blessed. Um, but mentoring for my career, it's just not possible. So I was always these like fighting um, alone, trying things out alone. So for a re really long time, I had no mentor. When I got to the university uh, and worked for the, the professor, great guy, amazing, amazing legal mind. Uh, and he could support me when it came to research, but pretty fast. I don't want to say I outgrew it, but the things I did, like working with big federations, he was a young professor as well. So he was, he was a mentor, but... To some of my things, 
it was hard for him to give feedback or maybe he was i don't want to say stuck in his in his space but like the combination of research practitioners federation is new to a lot of professors as well um so then i moved on um to the law firm and i got moritz who's like an amazing also mental support and showing me the ropes there but there's not a single person who's doing that i know of the same thing i'm doing there are a lot of like people doing comparable things and we can talk but i don't have like a mentor and what i found was i i really want something because i always had the mindset oh i'm doing it alone and then someday i i, I really had like like this epiphany that well, there is my colleague Philip. I already talked about. There is the professor. There, there is my 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 girlfriend and my parents who support me for years. And I was like, oh, what? You're not alone. It's like new territory, but you're not alone. So these are all my mentors. When it comes to be me being a better human being, my girlfriend is my teacher because, well, she's just amazing with humans, and I could improve on that maybe. Um, and then when we talk about people like um, Dev, for example, who you know as well. Yeah, Dev. Oh, well, he's a mental figure. And he knows this. So I'm going to say it out loud. He is a mental figure. It, for me, he's behind the scenes doesn't get the credit he deserves of what he does in the legal sector, not just esports, just sports law in general. So carry on. 100%. Uh, everyone who talks about Dev, and this is important for me because I consider Dev a, a huge factor for me, like personally, like when it comes yeah. to a career. Like, how we're connected, man. This is how we actually connected, yeah. He, there's no single person on this planet who has bad words for him. And even though everyone I talk to is full of praise, he's still underrated. He's, a, he's an amazing guy. He teaches me, he gives me opportunities. So shout out uh, to Dev uh, here 100%. And I just enjoy working and talking with him so much. Um, and this is maybe the one big advice. If you're in this position I was, you're doing maybe things that some of your peers consider strange or not worth doing or whatever it is. Um, do your thing, follow your passion, be smart about it, sure. Don't look for that one mentor and don't try to adopt that, oh, it's me against the world mindset. It's never you against the world. Find like-minded people, learn from everyone. A mentor can be 10 years younger than you. Just throw away your ego and try to, to grow. It sounds so cliche, but it's 100%. So I would say I have like probably four to five people who mentor me to some capacity who maybe don't even know that I consider them a mentor. Um, so that that's my mindset. Like, do not adopt this. I'm fighting for my own. Have a good look at who's supporting you um, on different levels and be open to being mentored. Because especially in my age, like I'm quite young when it comes to, to my career path. But the things I did are maybe more like partner level uh, um, stuff. Don't try to fight through it and be like the tough person because you're always the youngest in the room. Be open for a mentor, be open to learn. And a lot of criticism and a lot of things they're trying to teach you might not be true. That's okay as well, as long as you're open for the good things. 100%. Now, look, let's get to today's podcast topic. Today's <laughs> podcast topic is... What is the relationship between sports law, sort of the relationship with esports law or law in general? We haven't even forgot about the the core, you know, law itself. So could you break it down? I know it's a very big question and we could that could be another hour podcast, but with the fundamentals like that relationship between sports law and esports law, 
what what is the relationship between both so the most important thing if you want to ex examine like any relationship is you need to be sure of what you're comparing um sports and esports if you want to focus on that like as a start for example um you need everyone kind of knows what sports is but it's hard to say it right to 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 write it down and a specific uh, definition it's the same with these sports so when we're trying to shed some light on on the sports and esports situation first of all we need to know and this is my part like like what is esports and there's an easy answer and a complex answer to this the easy is just esports is competitive gaming this is like a spoiler for for what I'm trying to get into in the complex answer. It's competitive gaming. The more nuanced one is, well, there's rarely a single valid definition of anything out there because the, the reason is the purpose of a definition. What is a definition for? It is to distinguish one thing or phenomenon, esports, for example, from another one, sports, for example. So each feature of a definition, and this is what I'm, referring to as like these fundamentals this is methodology <laughs> legal methodology so each feature of a definition um needs to distinguish it from another feature of a different phenomenon um however the term you're trying to like delimit from depends on your situation so it's not like there's one big esports or sports definition but there are working definitions, for example, if you write your PhD, or um, it could depend on the science, right? Um, if you're trying to look at it from a criminal legal perspective, it might be a different definition than from an employment law uh, perspective. So there's no standard for, there's also, yeah, it, it differs, all federations, for example, the the, differentiation, the federations, whether it's sports or esports, they have the right to form their own definition. Um, it's all about like the differing interests, what you're trying to achieve with the definition. Um, if esports, maybe with an example, if esports is to be regulated or put in into a piece of legislation, we need to form this esport definition according to the purpose and the meaning of respective law. So how can we work with this situation? Because especially in esports, um, I already said it's super complex, it's heterogenic, it's rapidly evolving. Um, there's so many differences, like the content of a video game, the way you play the video game, um, even the ecosystems of the respective esports titles were, are really, really different. So how can we form a definition of esports? Because as lawyers, we need something to work with. And in methodology, getting back to the fundamentals, there's something that is called um, forming a descriptive definition. And this descriptive definition contains the essential characteristics of the phenomenon. Um, like the status quo and to some degree, any potential development uh, in the future must be subjected to an unbiased um examination and these are like the core fundamentals of the definition and if you do it right all of the definitions you will encounter whether it's the defin definition of of, of found uh, federations associations or whatever have these three defining features and in esports uh, 
there are three, there can be more, of course. But in esports, those features, according to my research, are players, so the human-like uh, um, characteristic, um, digital, which means the video game, and competitive. So what do you mean with human? Well, this is like relevant for the distinction between esports and um, when machines are, I don't want to say competing, but clashing, like virtual simulations um, with no players, for example. You could bet on them, virtual sports, as some may call it. Or um, artificial intelligence. Sometimes there are games where the human plays, but artificial intelligence does more of the work. So is there still a human element or like a, a, um, more than 50% of a human element? Um, the digital one, um, the video game. What is a video game? This sounds so weird, but there are now um, competitions with the spreadsheet software Excel. And Microsoft, the publisher of Excel, calls them esports. Does that make the spreadsheet software Excel a video game? So questions like these are super important. Um, the digital element is what distinguishes esports, by the way, from analog types of competition, namely traditional sports. We'll get into that probably in a second. And the third one is competition. Comparison of performance, you could say, uh, which is the relevant distinction between esports and non-competitive gaming, um, just gaming for yourself, and gambling, for example, because gambling is the comparison of luck or chance and not um, um, performance. And if you do it right, um, you will find these three elements in all of the different um, definitions out there. For example, there are laws on esports, specifically laws on esports in, in France, in Germany, in South Korea, and all of those have these three elements. Human players, plural, competing in on this virtual virtual platform video game okay we're gonna have a bit of fun now with a few case studies just to put it in perspective so if you i'm going to compare soccer to esports so if you look at because the one question i have just bear this in mind is do you think esports is now getting the um acknowledgement of behavior change and i'll explain what i mean with regards to behavior change if you go back esports if you go back 20 years ago as we mentioned it's very young industry when we played games, it was recreational. It was like you do it for a hobby. You play with your friend two on two. It's only when it hits competition where, as you say, that legal framework happens of building governance, building leagues, building competitions. Going back to my question, I know it's a bit long-winded, but I just want the listener to understand two different sports, but it's still the same thing. Has the behavior change of gaming changed now of the respect of esports being an industry? Lots to unpack there. Maybe maybe start with the. Um, I loved how you said compare soccer to esports because that actually doesn't make sense because esports is like sports, right? There are many different um, kinds of esports. As soccer is one kind of sport, um, so it would make sense to compare soccer to League of Legends, for example. Then this is something. It's not like uh, in a bad way. I don't want to. Uh, front you <laughs> but but this is this is actually one of the biggest um misconceptions because when we talk about numbers a lot of numbers in the esports industry get um like inflated artificially because you compare the nfl with all of esports that doesn't make sense you would have to compare sports to esports or like a type of sport to a type of esport um when it comes to competition what a lot of people do not see is 
Um, some call only professional esports esports, which, as I am wording it, it doesn't make sense, right? It's it, it could be professional esports and amateur esports, but esports isn't professional per se. There's professional esports, there's amateur esports, there's hobby esports. So in my opinion, it's also esports if you play with your friends. There's some people in the industry who don't see it that way, which is totally fine. Um, but yeah, as you said, there is professional esports. And when we talk about the development in esports, it's really interesting. We started out the same. So there was gaming and, and, and playing against friends. Uh, whether it was an arcade or on a console or the, the personal computer, it doesn't matter. And it, it got bigger, bigger, and they wanted to build leagues. So it's comparable to sports. But at some point, some publishers, and I'll get maybe I lose a few words about publishers here as well, um, on publishers here as well. Publishers hold the IP. So the, the sports federations do not hold the IP to, for example, soccer, to their competitions like the German Football League, sure, but not to soccer itself. They cannot keep you from playing soccer. The publisher could actually keep you from playing um, uh, the, the video game. Um, of course, publishers have a lot of power, because legal power. Um, but on the other hand, like it's it's also quite hard to build like a, a competitor for for the FIFA system, right? Like the the soccer system. So it's not like uh, FIFA isn't like they they also fall under competition law, right? So does make sense. But some publishers just use esports as a mean of means of marketing. It's like oh they're playing it for free on Twitch. They're streaming it. Amazing. That's free marketing. Don't have to spend my marketing budget on it. Amazing. Some publishers, for example, Riot Games with League of Legends, Valorant, Le Legends of Runeterra, for example, they want to have it as a revenue stream. So they needed to build like big, high quality leagues. So, and this is where we saw the jump, not like the bottom to top development, but at some point we had to jump to super top. And what we see now is that there's like this space between amateur and super high professional, and they need to close that space, um, um, which is super interesting when it comes to development. Hopefully this is what, what we're asking or wondering about. So there is this recre recreational start, but then they kind of built the Super League before they built the Bundesliga or the Premier League. This is how you could ex explain it. Um, and when it comes to recreational, esports is fast developing. So I'm pretty sure that the biggest esports title of the future hasn't developed yet. Um, in sports, there's a high chance of, well, when we talk about all of the long history, maybe football or soccer will evolve, 100% it will evolve. But will there be like this new kind of traditional sports that will overtake it? Even like football or futsal, like these variations of playing football, they're still kind of football. So there are variations, but the next game, the next big one is probably right around the corner. So what happens now, and the best example is the shooter Valorant by Riot Games. This game was specifically developed to be an esports title. One of the first games that had in mind, we want to build the big leagues, leagues around that. So these are some differences when we compare traditional sports and esports, for example. Like there are some similarities, some things are the same, but there are these big differences that are important. Um, and this would be one of them. And yeah, in respect to the industry framework, betting integrity 
each and every publisher has their own framework, their own governance system in place for their esports title. When we talk about Riot, because they're a great example, because they really invest a lot, they have different um, esports titles and the governance structures are also different. So it's not only like this publisher has system A and the other one has system B, but it really depends on the specific esports title, the game we are talking about. Um, of course, Riot can, if they have like four different titles and four different league structures, can combine things like a code of conduct, maybe. Um, uh, but when it comes to cheating on a technical level, sure. But when we talk about the in-game aspects, not anymore. So, of course, there's some consolidation there, um, but mostly there are different frameworks. And uh, yeah. This was a long answer again. Hopefully it answered some of your questions. <laughs> it does. I, I'm trying to like, unpick the the development of the industry in one answer, which you did an amazing job. But also I want people to list, like the listeners, including me, from a learning standpoint of, you know, that big jump. I think that's what I love from your answer. So just relating to that big jump, I'm going to simplify it. With regards to that European Parliament of, you know, getting esports accepted, how... From your experience and you're involved this a little bit please share what you can share or can't uh, but i just want you to share listeners why is that such a big deal yeah so um as a background um i was commissioned to write the study on esports with my colleague um tobias scholz and um, just in order to explain to them what is esports and most of our study is exactly what i just did like what is esports? What are the different types of esports? How are ecosystems typically built? Because there, even though each ecosystem is different, each structure, each governance uh, structure, um, there are some like maybe I don't know how to put it, like some forms, like there are like three main go-to starts, and then you can develop the specifics. Um, so to just tell them how does it work, how is it structured, what are the, the special features, how um, to compare to traditional sports and what um, is like, what are like the main differences. And um, yeah, we wrote the this, this, this study and that's the basis that overtook like 95, 95% of what we wrote in there, which is amazing. Um, into their resolution from November last year. And this is now like the start for the European Commission to build a framework around it. Uh, for example, visa regulation on a European level, or a lot of the competences, legal competences um, in employment law lie with the European Union. So um, there could be uh, some, some directives, for example, um, or some regulation um, on that as well. Or even because one of the biggest topics was the legal power of the publisher. And you, you cannot like, they have the IP here. Sure, there's competition law maybe applicable here. Um, sure, the community in esports has a much tighter grip on publishers uh, in comparison to, to sports fans like soccer fans on FIFA, as we've all seen over the last years. Um, so there are some of these mechanisms but they still have the IP. So what I came up with was maybe we can build an incentive system, like support for publishers who complies with European values when it comes to like which betting partners are allowed in their system um, and so on and so on. Um, so these are like, this is like the, the starting point right now. 
And now it's up to the commission and we're in talks there as well. Hopefully they will get back to me and like have me in the process as well. There would be an honor um, to build like this legal frameworks and this incentive framework, for example. You use some big words, like legal frameworks and like what you've just said is the starting point. Is this with regards to the implementation of policy? Is that just yeah. to get, boom, okay. I was listening really hard, like this is this is policy, which is good. So you've got your three <laughs> pillars. I just want, we're going to do a yeah. little recap of all this because this is, I hope this, the listeners are finding interesting as I am. So you've got the human side, the digital and competition. Above is the governance and, and the poli- policy and then with that implemented, we've got an ecosystem where every party, you know, even the rights holder who've got the IP can all succeed. Is that like, is that the goal of what I've just said? Okay. That's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal because because esports is, is a lot. Like sports, it's there are aspects of culture in it, right? Everyone who's a sports fan feels that this is part of, of their day-to-day life of, of culture. At the same time, Sure, it's money involved. Why are there big law firms involved? Because there's money. I don't want to sugarcoat it. There's money. And wherever there's money there, there are eyeballs, there's attention. um, And there are all these big uh, legal questions um, you need to do uh, right by. So um, there's also this financial aspect. And in Europe, it's quite hard because in comparing it to traditional sports, in Germany, there are a lot of... um, how would I call like privileges, legal privileges? Um, in Germany, there's a special criminal law for sports betting fraud, not just fraud, sports betting fraud or manipulation of professional sports competition, anti-doping law, non-profit status of grassroots sports clubs, for example. So there's a lot of privileges, but there aren't really on esports. And some of your listeners might have a maybe a bad taste in their mouth when they hear about wait 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 esports does not deserve the 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 same ones i'm not saying that you have to check it you you need to be you need to dive in in detail but i am pretty sure that a lot of those will need to be built for esports as well because they cannot thrive otherwise if you do not have the non-profit status in germany like sports clubs it's so hard for you to survive on a grassroots level without a grass a healthy grassroots level we will never be able to like close this gap between high professional esports and this grassroots level. We won't ever have, um, for example, salaries of esports players, professional esports players. They have salaries. They have employment contracts in Europe, or they should have. Um, so, what they earn is is sometimes mind-boggling, and I don't say they do not deserve it. I'm not saying it, but it's really hard. In a in a in a space and industry that is not financially sustainable yet for all stakeholders to pay out such salaries. So if you would have like this great bottom to top approach, this pyramid like in sports, maybe there would be some kind of automatic mechanism to have more like salaries that would make more sense. Because right now, no one knows, even if you win the League of Legends European Championship. It's like we are talking like uh, worlds, the, the world competition esports, we're talking about like 3 million. I've seen player contracts, a million salary a year with all bonuses combined. And this is why we need to like build a framework where all of the stakeholders can thrive 
and this means grassroots, this means professional. Um, how can the, one of the biggest things the European Union wanted was how can we utilize? I don't want to say use; it means so so mean. But how can we utilize esports in order to strengthen the European identity? Because um, this is a super interesting topic. Riot just changed. They have like this this model around regions: North America, Europe, China. But they changed the Europe one to EMEA, the, the EMEA version now. Before that, it was always EU versus NA, Europe versus North America, like this big clash, and everyone felt European. They still do, but like the EMEA uh, development, let's see whether that will change. But still, if you see the chat in uh, running during the big competitions, it's always EU versus NA. So how can we utilize something like that? Young generations, mostly young generations, for for who are esports like completely normal, how can we utilize esports to foster European identity? All of those questions, and um, this is like the big goal of the EU. Final one, just because you used it a few times, could you just explain what you mean sustainability and the goal? Like just as a little overview, I know it's a huge time picket, but just as a bit of a explanation of what you mean there. So, yeah, sustainable, there are different kinds of sustainability, right? Like financial, like social. Um, social would be an aspect how you treat your workers. We have a lot of esports professional athletes. In order to be the best, you need to invest a lot of hours. A lot of hours playing a game. And by the way, esports is not just sitting and playing at a personal computer. It could be virtual reality and moving as well, right? We maybe touch on that when we talk about sports is esports sports um but in the big titles like league of legends they're sitting so of course you can play league of legends longer than run outside on a field so there are a lot of hours combined the pressure of being an athlete the pressure of being in a ecosystem that is not yet financial um sustainable we'll get to that in a second so these are like social responsibilities you have for your players and a lot of clubs are doing an amazing jobs, uh, amazing jobs, and there are some who just don't. So this is something you need to work on: gender equality, things, integrity as a whole. But the big thing right now is the financial sustainability. So in most of the esports ecosystem, not all of the stakeholders involved getting their money's worth. So the players on a top level are fine. But on like the, the semi-pro level or the amateur level, it really looks sometimes really dire. Some of the clubs, there are clubs out there, some may not believe, but there are clubs out there or clans or teams, whatever you want to call them, um, that are making a profit. But most of them are not making a profit. Most of the publishers who say, okay, I want to have that as a revenue stream, invest a ton of resources and might not get all of them back. Normally, they they have like they flatline, so so it's like it's basically their invest and what they get out is around the same, but it's not like a big monetary business. So the biggest, probably the biggest task for the industry is creating ecosystems that are sustainable. But to be fair, Corona or the COVID uh, COVID virus sh showed us that sports isn't as sustainable 
financially speaking as well. So it's not like that's an esports problem. It's a problem of a lot of like industry and esports still is and really feels like a startup base. So that's common for startup spaces as well. So this is why what I'm talking about um, sustainability because everyone's talking about oh esports the next big big thing millions billions made in revenue that doesn't make a sustainable ecosystem if the teams for especially the teams burn through their their resources uh, in an instant just because of players salaries exactly like this could be a topic itself i just want the listeners to get yeah, all of those i guess <laughs> yeah and i'm really grateful for what you just shared there and i hope people have taken notes going back to your journey now out of interest what have you enjoyed the most reflecting right now of your career journey meeting great people i i'm i just enjoy being around people discussing talking having fun joking around like like the conference we met right it's just great to meet new people who are like-minded they don't have to be like esports related like-minded but just driven by passion um honest so this is by far the the, the best thing this is what i enjoy enjoy most from 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 my like career career right now and also um to be invited to the big tournaments for example i've been to iem katowice which is maybe the biggest european tournament there is one of the most um with the most prestige at least it was just amazing being there just what i've always just seen through screens being there in person like the vibe all of those people there except for some brazilian fans there are no hooligans in esports and i've been to stadiums like soccer stadiums a lot so it's it's far more enjoyable especially as i'm getting older so this is the the best part Absolutely. And I, I'm glad you mentioned about the people because I think that's what I enjoy the most. And meeting you at that conference with Dev and all the other speakers, it was it just opened up my eyes to other great people, but just in a different sector of this massive sports industry. But look, this conversation has been a wow my end. You've certainly got me out of my comfort zone. But as always, I like to finish with an inspirational question for the listeners. And feel free to recap, Nipper like of what you've said on some aspects. But for the listeners who like write, I've got a real good flavor of what the esports industry is about. What three tips would you give them with regards to pursuing a career in the esports industry? Like, what would they be? I'd say you need three qualities. Um, the first one is creativity. And it's not only in a legal space, because there are a lot of legal jobs that maybe do not require creativity too much, but it's relatively new. So you need to be creative. And it's the same for everyone else. Maybe not if you're working as a controller. I don't know if you're like an Excel champion. You don't have to be too creative. But for most of the jobs in esports, you need to be creative because it's rapidly evolving. And each and every new step of development is your chance to shine, your chance to um, do amazing stuff, bring your organization uh, to the forefront um, of esports. Then the second thing is... Um, Resilience, 100%, especially as a lawyer, um, because everyone who ever worked with startups, digital space, knows sometimes budget is a bit smaller, but they need it like a week ago. Um, there are so many stakeholders you have to work with. For example, a publisher um, is way more important of a role in, in esports most of the times than, than federations uh, in, in, in traditional sports either. 
<clears throat> so resilience is important. Um, and then digital affinity, like everything that's digital will be important over the next years. And um, everything digital will create a platform, will have IP rights, will have a publisher. Um, publisher or, or like, like digital means international, means high heterogeneity, for example, because you can have sports simulations like sports, but you can also fly in a computer game. So the content is way more heterogenic. Um, it means that the space is always relatively young. A lot of times it's externally financing based, like in esports, content creation brings in money, maybe NFT sponsoring venture capital. Um, all of these things you need to be, you have this, you need to have this digital affinity. So, so being creative, resilient, and this digital affinity, um, I would say are like these three big qualities you need for nearly all of the jobs in esports, especially um, legal ones. I've got a big smile on my face. It relates to one little word you put in that, what you've just said in those three tips. It's that evolving aspect. That's how we evolve. So look, please re-listen to that clip. Because even for me, that digital efficiency, what do you say? Digital affinity. like yeah. Affinity. That's, I love that. I'll have to re-listen to that because you're so spot on. Like it, you are right. I look forward to the day when you see an NFT being the whole structure of how things are done so everything's secure but that's another podcast in itself but i'm just saying i love those three tips out of interest how can people interact with you online sure um i'm on linkedin this is probably my my main platform then i'm also on on twitter at nemon legal n-e-m-o-n legal and um right now i'm reconstructing my website but um like it's nepomuk minus um yeah other than that, it's like the social media channels of, of the law firm, SKW Schwartz. Um, if you're interested in my work and what we do as a law firm, feel free to reach out. And Ed, thanks for having me. I had an amazing time. And I mean, there are so many things we haven't talked about. So I am just guessing you will invite me back at some point. Absolutely. And it'll be a real joy. But for all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website, even the new website when that's up and running. But Nipamuk, look, the, the pleasure is mine. Thank you so much. Like I'll be really honest. You got me well out of my comfort zone. And this is what I love conversations like this. And yeah, thank you for coming on the show today. Great. Oh, uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. <laughs> wow. What a fascinating podcast chat with Nipamuk. For me, it's conversations like this I really enjoy, particularly on industry sectors like the esports industry, which is evolving. And it's so awesome to hear Nipamuk's career journey with us his journey as a lawyer as a lecturer as a practitioner because i want to bring back one point which is really important for me to share that having different hats is should we say normal in the sports industry particularly when you're working in a certain industry that's evolving uh, like i said right at the beginning i really don't know how nipamuk sleeps all the different roles but Really, he's really involved right now in where the growth is happening. And it's just fascinating how he's pushing himself in this industry to create positive change. Like the work he was doing with the EU was really significant. I want to really emphasize that. And that could have been a podcast topic in itself uh, with regards to the work he was doing there and giving people a real understanding 
from a policy standpoint of what is esports and why is it so influential in the esports industry and also why it's big business. Like he said, he didn't sugarcoat it. There is big money, there's big business in the esports industry, but we need to always go back to the fundamentals of any ecosystem and understanding like where is the growth and where's the direction this industry is going. So I really do hope you've enjoyed that. And any lawyers listening into this podcast, I hope you've got a better understanding of sports law and the relationship with esports law and the similarities and the slight differences as well. Um, so I really do hope you found this podcast helpful. If this is an area you want to work in with regards to your legal studies or even practical skills from studying law. But from a sports career development standpoint in general, the one thing I do want to highlight to conclude this podcast is Nipamuk is working in this industry because there's a real interest with regards to gaming, which then led him to apply his legal skills or, as he referred, apply his toolkit. And I just want to do that reminder because it was a reminder for me as well that everything we do with regards to our sports career or a career in general, starts with an interest. That is the starting point, and that's when we grow into being a practitioner, and then in time, should we say, an expert, a professional, and then somebody who's a leader in that field or industry sector. But it all starts by having a real interest and real dedication with commitment in that interest to develop yourself, but also develop the industry forward. So never forget that. But I hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as I have. And like I say in every podcast, what are you going to apply? So what's that key learning lesson you've learned from this podcast chat, from Nipamuk's journey or something he said that's resonated with you? How are you going to put into practice straight after listening to this podcast? Because this is vital. This is where real growth happens when you listen to something, get educated and then apply. So on that note, make it happen. Put that key takeaway into practice now. And just do it. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Nipamuk said, Be creative, have resilience, and have that digital infinity. These three qualities are vital when pursuing a career in the esports industry.